Hi, welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Amara Organic Foods. They make organic non-GMO baby food powders without the repeated high heat processes of traditional baby food. And we will hear more from our sponsor later, but you can head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and check out our sponsor page. Our sponsors make this podcast possible. So if you need anything, see if you can give uh, any of them your business. And uh, while you're there, you can scroll down and enter your email address and we will send episodes straight to your inbox um, once a week or possibly twice a week for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Um, Diane has our review of the week. And it comes from a listener named Lisa. Hope she doesn't mind that I put her name out there. I don't think she minds because she signed it, Lisa. And it's she knew that this was going to be a review. So here she's, she says, badass breakthrough. Wow. The challenges of breastfeeding come from all of the white noise around us, not the actual breastfeeding. My newborn was three weeks old when I started to seriously doubt my ability to feed my baby who had extreme gas and tummy issues after every single feed and between feeds. I was convinced I was doing everything wrong until I found Abby and Diane's voices. What a godsend. The episode on bed sharing changed everything. I went from a zombie who needed three naps during the day to survive to actually sleeping. My husband, who had been on the couch for a month because he operates heavy equipment and needs sleep to be safe, was finally back in our bed. We were all finally actually sleeping. The episode on normal newborn behavior was comforting. I sent this one to all of my new mama friends with babies. So many people were trying to diagnose my baby with everything under the sun. Now I know he's just a normal newborn with gas. These women simplify everything and make breastfeeding a reachable goal. I recommend this podcast to so many women, including my amazing pediatrician. Make sure you find one of those. I was lucky enough to have a natural unmedicated birth at a birthing center. I worked so hard to achieve my empowering birth. Then postpartum rocked me. All the evidence, all the advice I was getting to use sleep schedules, prolonged time between feedings and cry it out tactics. It wasn't feeling natural at all. A word of advice, throw out those damn books. Listen to the words of wisdom coming from this podcast and let your body and your baby do what nature intended them to do. They do it so well when you don't mess with it. I even reached out to Diane recently after listening to a good portion of episodes. She has been super helpful answering my questions as they come up and validating my concerns about caretakers and pumping, etc. I'll be forever grateful for this evidence-based platform and will continue to listen and spread the word. I look forward to sending in a badass picture of myself breastfeeding when I get the courage to do it. Oh, so much for that. Um, and it's, as I was like reading through this, I was kind of thinking about um, the episode we just did on colic and how in the beginning of that, we were talking about how like, we don't really prepare for breastfeeding necessarily, you know, like we, we get through the birth and we're like, okay, the rest of it. Now I got through the birth, the rest of it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And that challenges pop up. So, um, it's, you know, I think that's everybody. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and, but we feel so alone when it's happening, you yeah. know, and people like really totally. do want to throw all this advice at you. Like, oh, it must be gas. Oh, it must be what you're eating. Oh, the baby must not be getting enough. Oh, you're, you know, doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And it's like, nobody really knows. So be quiet and let me figure out my baby on my own. Just you shut know? up. I know. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Stop talking and listen to Abby and Diane. That's what right. she said. Right. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> 
So thank you so much for sending that in. And you can put your, um, do your reviews on iTunes for us. And that really, you know, that really helps the podcast. It helps other people find the podcast. It helps a ton. Um, you can send us an email, badassbreastfeedingpodcast at gmail.com. And, um, I mean, it, it can be really hard to, to go from listening to what other people are saying to trusting your own instinct, but it, it really does work and it helps. So thank you. You're doing amazing. Seriously. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about birth interventions. We were just, before we got on, we were talking about like, where did this come from? I know we did one in the past on birth interventions, like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, long time ago. Um, but I think people have asked recently, or maybe at least one person yeah. has asked recently, I mean, it was a long time ago, so. It was, yeah. Probably most new listeners have not gone back through like 200 plus episodes. No. I sure wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. Um, but if you are, we love you. I know. More power you. to you if you can deal yeah. with our voices for that long. <laughs> <laughs> That's really amazing. So I find that when I mention to people that birth has a lot to do with breastfeeding, they're pretty surprised at that. Really I mean, are. I could see that. Yeah. Cause I thought, yeah, I thought that I didn't think about any of this and I thought it would all just kind of, you know, birth and then birth would be over and then we would start the next thing. And, you know, not that like pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding was all kind of like one thing. I never thought about it like that. But I, it's so, once you do, once you learn a little bit about it and you realize like, oh, it's all connected, like then it doesn't seem so strange. But, when I when I talk about it with people, then they're just like, oh, I didn't realize. Like, if you're like, look where the baby's living. And then they're going to show up on this world, on this planet. Like, how right. is that not going to, how is, how they, where they come from and how they come out of that space, not impacting them in any way, shape or form. Like, it has a huge impact on what goes on. And then if we add things to that mix that really starts to like throw a monkey wrench into things. And it we're not, again, this is not like, this is not, we're not blaming anybody. So I, that is going to be my PSA for this, for this episode. Like it, I don't want anybody to come away from this saying, Oh, they said an epidural was going to be harmful to my baby. And I had one. So that must be the reason why my baby's effed up. No, that is not the case. No, we're not had an going epidural there. And my baby is not fucked up. I did. I had an epidural too. I mean, I had one with one. Yeah. And they're I, both, well, or they're then, both equally fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So, and, you know, and I had a C I had a uh, vaginal birth with an epidural for my first induced vaginal birth with an epidural and all the meds. And I, with my second, with the twins, I had a C section. Whereas obviously they're not cutting into you without any kind of medication. So, you know, obviously yeah. I had a, you know, medication with that. There is no way around this stuff sometimes. There really isn't. And there are definitely situations where this is life-saving and these things need to happen. But knowing, just knowing, okay, that epidural might cause my baby to be a little bit more sleepy. They might not breastfeed as well. Can save you a breastfeeding relationship. Just knowing that information can be huge in the way you think about breastfeeding your baby. You know, because I've had people that took it personally that their baby was not breastfeeding well. Or that they were super surprised at how sleepy their baby was. And it's like, this is this is the, the reaction of the medications. Nothing that we need to worry about. We just need to, you know, try a little harder. 
make sure we're stimulating a little bit more, make sure that we're, you know, getting the baby on to feed, maybe a little bit more support, maybe a little bit more monitoring. Not that you did anything wrong, but knowing that going into it is a really, really big part of it. It's important to have this information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was pausing for effect and I didn't know if you had anything you wanted to say <laughs> along with that. But, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot. I have so to, many things to say. I know. I know it. And honestly, like I did my master's thesis on how epidurals impact the initiation of breastfeeding and breastfeeding initiation and duration. Um, and that research was just fascinating to me. Um, and I remember I probably told this story before I was in the middle of, of doing that thesis when I met with, and I was working at the hospital at the time and I met with the person who was in charge of OB. Um, she was a doctor that was in charge of OB on the floor who is, she's no longer there. So if anybody's trying to determine where it was that I was working, if you're from Rochester, she doesn't work there anymore. So um, <laughs> I, I remember talking to her about it. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm doing my, you know, my, my, master's thesis on how um, epidurals impact breastfeeding initiation and duration. And she was like, how would an epidural impact breastfeeding? I'm like, it, it affects a baby. She's like, I don't understand how that would even affect breastfeeding. Like, like she went out, like she must've said that two or three times to me. I just don't understand how that would be. And it's like, yeah, because people are still telling like you still have medical professionals in the hospital telling you when you are in labor, the medication does not go to the baby. Yeah. It absolutely does. But then if you need meds later, then you're going to kill your baby if you have if you have right. those meds later. The way no right, damn sense. right, it doesn't. And the other thing that I would say, and when I used to teach breast not breastfeeding classes, when I used to teach childbirth classes, we used to talk a lot about this. And I would tell them, like, Okay, you're pregnant, right? Like you're pregnant. If you get a headache, what can you take when you're pregnant? And they're like, Tylenol. Right. Do they want you to take anything stronger than a Tylenol? No. Okay. But when you go into labor, they give you an opioid. Into your, right directly into your, into your blood. You know, right, right directly into your system. An opioid. And they're like, oh. Oh, yeah. So like, <laughs> how, how is that Okay. Like, obviously, it's fine because babies are born just fine. But how does that not impact them even a little bit? And that's the other thing. People don't really know what's in an epidural. And we're just like talking epidurals here because that's the most common birth intervention is right. an epidural. I think it's like, what, 80 to 90% of people get it or something. So it's, they're super, super common. But they're also kind of put out there that they're perfectly safe and that there is not going to be any issue. Um, And they, I mean... The majority of the time they're not, but there is some things that happen when you get an epidural, when you choose to to, to get one. It, yeah, it does go to the baby and it well, is. It, yeah, and it goes an to you and it goes to the baby and. It crosses the um, placenta. Like it, it definitely goes to the baby. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, you know, to say that it affects the baby doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. I mean, you know, you people choose this. People have the right to choose, you know, how they want a bird. They're babies and they should. And if you want an epidural, then please have an epidural. The The thing is, is just to be aware. 
is being aware and having the information that like, okay, if I have an epidural or I had, when I had Jack, I had an epidural, I had Stadol, which is a narcotic. I had Nubane. I had, yeah. Huh? I had Nubane in an epidural. Yeah. I had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you had, and then Pitocin mm-hmm. and then all yep. this. I mean, I was like higher than I've ever been. And I've been high in my <laughs> life. I swear to God, many times. And I gave birth to him. First of all, I've told the story before. I didn't remember what we were doing. Like I pushed him out. I looked at him and I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was 30 hours of I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just suffering. And please give me more meds. And that's how you get sometimes when you're, when you're giving birth and you have meds available to you. But then it's going to affect how you are interacting with your baby, how your baby feels, how you feel. It affects, you know, obviously your muscles, your ability to stay awake and aware. And of course, this is going to affect breastfeeding. And so be aware, know that, have the information like, okay, this is what I'm getting into. And this is what I'm going to have to expect that maybe baby's not going to latch really well at first. Maybe I'm going to feel like shit because you might. And maybe, you know, I'm not going to have this, you know, elated birth feeling, you know, that um, many people have after they have babies. Right. Um, I, I did not just, have that at all. No, not I at had all. it the second time because second time I had actually at home and there was no even if I wanted the meds there, <laughs> they don't have it. Um, and so I gave birth to him and he came he came very quickly and I was totally sober and alert. And, you know, we started breastfeeding immediately. I was still in the water. And um, that was totally different. It was a completely different thing. They both went on to breastfeed for years and years and years. And actually, the first child who started off all rocky ended up breastfeeding for six and a half years and the second one for five years. And that is an extremely long time. Mm -hmm. And they were two very different um, birthing experience and both very successful breastfeeding stories. And so the bottom line is that. It doesn't mean if there is some intervention there that's happening, some birth intervention, you might have a rocky start. Absolutely. Yeah. You might, because you that, might be separated from your baby. You might. Right. You, I'm sorry. You the, go ahead. No. Yeah, they, exactly. They, you might be separated from your baby. They might not be latching well because of the medications. Um, you might not be feeling up to it because like there's a zillion things that could be going on with it. But that doesn't mean they're not going to breastfeed. It just might, you might need a little extra support with the breastfeeding. That's all. Yeah. It might, and I remember that role as as you want it to. Yeah. I I remember the nurse coming in and I had been, I didn't know anything. You know, this is my first, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. And we were all wrapped up and she came in and she was like, Do you want to do some skin to skin? And I said, No, I don't. I didn't feel like it. I just yeah. didn't feel like I was fucking, I had just been in labor for 30 hours and had so many drugs. I didn't feel like doing anything. And, no. you know, it's better to do it, but I didn't know that until later. And still we got through it, you know, but yeah, these things, these are all, it affects, it affects, you know, how you get started in on so many levels and layers from just the physical ability to be able to breastfeed for you and your baby and the emotional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it, this stuff it like counteracts with your hormones too. Oh yeah. And you know, and it takes, it takes a little time. I had a mom recently, God, where did I see her? It doesn't matter um, where I saw her, but she, this is just very recent, like within the past week or so that she told me that she was like begging for her epidural. Cause you get to that point, right? Where you're just like, Oh my God, I got to ha- like, uh-huh. Give me an epidural. I need to have it. 
and they didn't check her. And I hear, I've heard this story, like I've heard the same scenario happen. And she was at like nine or 10 centimeters when they gave her the epidural because they didn't check her. And usually, so the situation, what happens when you're in labor is you reach this point called transition where you are just like, that. that is where you're going from seven to 10 and their hormonal surges are insane and you're like reaching this point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Give me every drug you can find and get this baby out of me. And when a, a parent gets like that, you're like, you're there. You're there. You know, like we know that you're ready to go. You're ready to push this baby out when you hit right. that point. And when she said, all right, I want medication right now. They were like, okay, gave her an epidural. She was at like already at like 10 centimeters. So that epidural didn't kick in until after her baby was born. Right. And then she couldn't move. <laughs> and she was so like silly. pissed that nobody checked her first. And that isn't her her job. You know, no, like it's not her job to be directing people to check. No, that's ridiculous. You know, like that and I've heard that that was another, you know, and I have another one that comes to mind where it was the same situation where she was so close to pushing and already like just about fully dilated when the epidural finally was placed, they didn't check her. And then it, she was like the epidural set in and she couldn't push because it was so like fresh. Cause a lot of times if you've had that epidural for hours and hours and hours, it's wearing off by the time you're ready to push, yeah, totally. but it was so fresh that she couldn't feel the pushing. So they needed to do a vacuum extracted delivery, which led to all these other problems. And it's like, you know, that was a really, really difficult, they really had a hard time getting breastfeeding off the ground because of that. Well, and that's, yeah, that's what happens a lot of times with interventions too, is that interventions lead to more interventions. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have, you're kind of starting, you know, farther back from the start line. And then you have, you know, you have to, um, you know, you have to have, you have to do certain things to help breastfeeding get started, which I think we should talk about after our ad break. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot I we know. have a sponsor. <laughs> we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Amara Organic Foods. We've all heard baby food pouches and jars are overly processed, low in nutrition and high in sugar, but fresh delivery options are so expensive. That's why we love Amara. They make organic, non-GMO baby food powders without the repeated high heat processes of traditional baby foods. All you need to do is add your water, add water or your breast milk, mix, and voila. You have a freshly made puree with the tastes, textures, and most importantly, nutrients like you just made it from scratch. My kiddos are not babies, but they can tell you that they are yummy treats with real flavors. These mixes are a very simple and fast way to prepare treats for your nurslings as they begin to start solid foods. Try favorites like sweet potato raspberry, kale veggie mash, or oats and berries. Check out their baby food super powders and plant-based yogurt melts at Amara Organic Foods. That's A-M-A-R-A Organic Foods. And use code BADASS for 20% off your first order. And our sponsor and their promo code can be found in our show notes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com under this episode. 
And also at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, you'll find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane, who can help you if you have had um, a difficult time getting started with breastfeeding. Yeah, I can. All right. So were you about to say something else? No, I just think like from my experience, you know, there was like, because I was, I was induced and then I induced again because it didn't work. And Mm -hmm. then I couldn't take it anymore, but I didn't want the epidural. So I was asked for something else. And they gave me that state all. And then I started having like hallucinations. And then I was like, just give me this epidural. So then I had that. And then, you know, then that wore off and then I need the, then, well, you know, you have the Pitocin. So now the labor basically stops and then you need Pitocin to start it again started again Mm -hmm. um and so by all of this you know by i had the baby you know we're completely exhausted i don't you know the baby's exhausted we're trying to breastfeed i'm just like i still look at pictures i have a picture of that moment that first time i latched him on in my face my face i look like i've been hit by a truck and so bad i remember that feeling of just Mm -hmm. like ugh, i just want to be dead yeah and i i uh and then they're like, well, you know, your milk's not really coming in, so you should give a little bit of formula. And then they start in with that. And I was just like, okay. And then here you are down this, you know, you're down this rabbit hole, this really, really, really common rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed. You're going to make so, lots of friends in that rabbit hole. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And how often do you see this? My God, all the time. All the time. And, but we, when we don't know, and my biggest thing about it is the education piece for it. Like if you, if you don't know, if you go into this, cause the, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard somebody say, oh yeah, my OB said, you know, that there's no reason to, to not get the medication. You should get the medication. It's fine. It's not going to do anything. It's not bad. And that's like, that's fine. There's nobody saying to not do it. Nobody's telling you do not get a medication when you're in labor. If that's what you want your birth plan to be, there's nobody that's telling you that 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 is not what you should be doing. That is not what this podcast is about right now. It is about being educated on what happens after because there is like any kind of medication you ever will take in your life. There's probably some kind of after that goes along with it. This is no different than that. I remember doing a talk to like, I think it was a bunch of residents one time, long time ago about, you know, medications during labor. And I remember one resident looked at me, he goes, do you honestly tell people not to get medication when they're in labor? It's like, I tell people to be educated about it and make an informed decision. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, everybody acts like we're insane for suggesting that making an informed decision is- That people get information. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. No, this lady told me, my doctor told me that I had to get the epidural because I would be in too much pain to have to deliver the baby. Oh, yeah. How's that for, how have people been giving birth? Like, when whatever. I, Again, if you want the epidural, I ended up wanting the epidural and so I got it. But like to say that, like, it's not possible. It's not possible. To, <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I anyway, had them say too, just, like you better get one just in case they need to do a C-section, then you already have it. I've heard that too. Like, oh, okay, so let's right. medicate just in case. I mean, yeah. It 
it really, and the way, and we know there's, so, you got, there's so much research about this. There is so much research on this that when you, you know, when you get the Pitocin, when you start with the Pitocin, you start with the medication, and sometimes this is way out of your control. So you use, you, you know, these things start and then the baby's in distress. The baby's, you know, starts to, to desat. The baby starts to like their oxygen level goes down, whatever. The baby's in distress. And it's like, this is because of the medication. That's what the, 90% of the time, that's what causes that. That's what the research shows us. This is not just me talking. Like, this is what the research. So I did a shit ton of research for my, for my master's thesis on this. It is all that impacts how the baby gets out. And there is a lot to it. And we know that these medications get into your system and it just, and it, then it causes, like you said, it causes that escalate of birth interventions. Like we, we see that happen all the time and I cannot stress enough how important a doula is in this, in this, this arena with this stuff. Like, because in those situations where the mom is begging for an epidural, that doula can say, why don't we check and see how far along you are? Because they're in the right mind frame at that point in time. That's their job. Right. Doulas unfortunately, are yeah, unfortunately you have. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. I just get fired up with this. stuff. I know. Well, but you know, and, and unfortunately in this, in this situation, especially if you're del- delivering in a hospital, you have like two agendas, right? You have your agenda to stick to your birth plan and then the hospital's agenda, which is to kind of make this happen as quickly as possible and to do what they're used to doing. And you have to advocate for yourself, except you're giving birth. You're busy. (laughs) So you need somebody now. Yeah, you're a little bit busy. And so you need somebody who's like not your partner, not your mother in law, somebody who is whose job this is, who knows how to do this, who's working for you to do that advocating. And that really makes a big difference. But like myself and Diane and many other people, most other people, you end up in a situation where you're not getting off to a great start. And so what what do we do? When you're not off to a great start? Yeah. What do you do with people when you see they're coming and they're they're they didn't get off to a good start because of all these birth interventions? Well, I always like to know exactly what happened for the most part. You know, and I think some people probably are like irritated with me because they just want to come in and have me fix their problem. But I'm like, tell me what happened. You know, tell me about birth. Tell me what happened. What, you know, what went on? Because that does tell me a lot of things that, that was it a long delivery? Was a baby not in a good position? You know, was there, what kind of medications were involved? Did you, you know, were you induced, which led to this long induction, which led to, you know, C-section. A lot of the, like this stuff really does impact how babies feed, whether or not they're super sleepy. Cause I, there is a huge difference and I've seen a, a million babies, like well, probably not a million, but pro- thousands of babies <laughs> over the last 15 years. And babies that have been born unmedicated versus babies that have been born from a medicated delivery, there's a huge difference there as far as like how alert they are and how coordinated they are with their suck because that that epidural also causes, can cause, I'm not going to say it does cause all the time, but one of the side effects can be coordination. And sometimes that suck is not as coordinated as it needs to be when they're first born. You see it all the time. It goes away, but it's very frustrating to a new parent who's trying to breastfeed a baby that's not coordinated enough to make their suck, swallow, breathe happen. So, 
sometimes it's it's educating them afterwards. Like this is, you know, okay, that's that tells me like a lot of that stuff um that happened during during labor, that's gonna impact how babies feed. And people are like, oh, I didn't realize that that was that that could happen. Think, yep, it absolutely can. It can absolutely happen. So lots, lots of skin to skin, really, with those babies. So if you are listening, if you're pregnant right now and you're listening, lots of skin to skin in the hospital. If you have your baby in a hospital, if you have a baby at home, lots of skin to skin at home. If you have your baby in a birth center, lots, I don't care where you had your baby, if it's under the bush or under the deck next door, (laughs) lots of skin to skin with your baby because that helps them to kind of you know, come back around again. It helps. It really just helps them to regulate. It helps them soothe. It helps them calm. It just helps them coordinate. Lots of skin to skin with your baby. Um, expect that they're going to be a little bit tired. That's another thing that people are really surprised about is how tired their baby is. Well, they just go to sleep at the breast. They just fall asleep. They just fall asleep. Yeah, they're medicated, you know, and especially like, like there's, it's just a lot. It's a lot on a newborn. It really is. And we don't know like how, what their dosage was, how much they're, you know, is impacting them, whatever. But we just see that there's, they're definitely having, you know, this impact of medicated delivery. They're a little bit more sleepy. They might not be as coordinated. They might not be feeding quite as well. If that, if you ended up having a, a birth that had more intervention, like the a forceps or a vacuum extracted delivery or, you know, something like that, that might impact how they feed as well. They might be in a little bit more pain. They might be a little bit more uncomfortable. We might have to work a little bit more with, with positioning. They might be able to get on, but it might hurt you because of their positioning, because they are, you know, their muscles are a little bit more tight from however what the birth intervention had happened. All of this stuff is really, really common. What I what I never saw happening when I was working in a hospital setting, and even now when I talk to parents, nobody ever says, oh, yeah, the, the nurse told me that that might be a situation. Or nobody right. ever yeah. says that. Yeah, nobody yeah, ever says, totally. oh, the babies, the other thing that happens, oh, 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 other thing that happens all the time is the fluid. Oh, so let's yeah. talk about fluid for a second. How much fluid that you receive when you're in labor? Lots of fluid. They're already giving you bags of IV fluids, you know, when you get there. And then if you decide to have an epidural, then they give you more bags of IV fluid because they have to because of blood pressure issues that are common with with epidurals. So now, and then you're getting more fluid like throughout the labor and all that stuff. So now you've had a couple of bags of fluid and your breast tissue starts to swell. Usually not the first 24 hours, but usually into that second 24 hours, second day. Um, after the first 24 hours, you might see that your your breast tissue, you might not even notice it, but your baby does because now they're not latching well. And they'll tell you you have flat nipples and you need a nipple shield. It happens every day, everywhere. <laughs> every day, everywhere this happens. Baby can't get on because you have flat nipples, so now it's your fault. And you need a nipple shield because that's the only way the baby's going to feed. So... That is very frustrating, but that is fluid. That has to do with the fluid. And when parents come in to see me and they're like, their feet are swollen or, you know, like you're, you're very swollen and uncomfortable. And that has to do your full, like your, your, you know, milk is coming in and you're super full and uncomfortable. That is a lot of fluid that they have given you during labor that has a huge impact on how your baby breastfeeds. 
and what's happening with your milk supply. Babies can't latch if the breast tissue is full of fluid. That is very difficult for them. They can't get, it's just very hard for them to latch in those kind of situations. Another little, little um, tidbit of info with this is Pitocin, which like everybody gets now, I feel like I rarely, I rarely talk to anybody who didn't get Pitocin, honestly, even if it's an unmedicated delivery, they usually give it to you anyway, because yeah. They want it to like, just in case there's a hemorrhage, it's like a whole protocol thing that I'm not even going to get into that right now. But um, Pitocin is very, very common. Pitocin is is also an antidiuretic, which means that it will work to hold that fluid in. So now you've had all this fluid and your body is reacting to all this fluid and your baby's not latching well because of all this fluid. But you also have Pitocin, which is going to cause your body to hold on to that fluid a little bit longer. So it is a really uncomfortable place. But yeah, that's yeah. If we know it going into it, we can deal with it a little bit better. But not one time ever does anybody ever say to a new parent, this is because of the fluid. So once your body is resolving of this fluid, this will be a lot easier for your baby. Yeah. And then the resolving of the fluid is that they're going to lose that fluid. And so the baby born at, say, eight pounds is going to lose more than a baby that didn't have a lot of fluids. And then it's like, well, then you don't have enough milk because your baby's losing weight. So then you need to start formula. And now we're down the rabbit hole again. Right. Yeah, it's a very common thing. And that's why sometimes when we get these emails from people that say, you know, I was really concerned um, because they told me I, my baby wasn't getting enough and I needed to get formula in the hospital, but I really just wanted to, you know, let my body do what it needed to do. Like kudos to you. Cause that's a scary thing. That's scary to have somebody say, we think your baby needs formula because your baby's losing too much weight and they're not getting enough to eat. And you're like, no, I'd, I'd like to give this a try. Like, let me, you know, usually people are like, all right, give them whatever you need to give them. Yeah. I mean, I said that. I said, I said, I don't want to give formula. And they were like, well, that's why he's crying. He's starving. (laughs) I mean, then (laughs) what are you supposed to do? Right. And this is very, the other thing that, that happens with this too, is it's very impacting on a parent. It is very, very, it it really impacts you. There was totally traumatizing. This is totally traumatizing. traumatizing. Um, People don't tend to appreciate that for what it really is. And, um, it can be really disturbing feeling to go through labor. Like you feel like you're completely out of control, right? When all these interventions start happening, you're just like, Oh my God, you're like, what's happening. Especially if you are somebody who really had a, had an idea of what their birth was going to be like. And we know that sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want it to be. And that's really hard. That's traumatizing. And it's really hard. And then you're supposed to, you try breastfeeding and it, it's not working the way you thought that was going to go either. It yeah, is very... Every single plan that you had is now going in the shitter. Mm-hmm. It's so upsetting and it's so scary. It's really scary. I remember, I remember being so afraid mm-hmm. all the time, like any quiet time being on my phone, like looking up, like what was going on and like, why, how do I breastfeed? How do I get past this? How do I... And then you're dealing with, you know, postpartum mood mm-hmm. stuff. And what a terrible time. <laughs> I, there was, I mean, <laughs> it, it, that was it such hard. a terrible time after my first child. It was a terrible, terrible time. Yep. I remember seeing a mom. It was when I worked in the hospital and I went into her room and 
you know, she was just like, I can't even remember how it came up. If I even just said like, how are you? Whatever. I, I don't remember how it came up, but she looked at me. She's like, this did not go the way I wanted it to go or the way she either said, this isn't, this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go or it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And she yeah. was disconnected for sure. Like you could tell just by the look on her face, she was very, she was upset. She was disconnected. Um, she was in a lot of pain. And I can't remember if it was like a, a bad tear or an episiot, something. She was in a lot of pain. She couldn't sit well. Um, so we got her in a position where, you know, she could lay back a little bit, put some pillows under her knees, take a little pressure off of her bottom and just kind of like talk to her a little. And um, I remember going back out to the nurse's station. Maybe the nurse asked how she did or something like that. And I told her and she goes, what is she upset about? She has a healthy baby. Oh, God, shut up. I and can't it's like, stand that. I can't either. I can't. I can't stand it. Like we completely what? Once the baby pops out of a mom, we completely disregard that 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 parent. Like we completely disregard them as somebody that has feelings. They don't matter anymore, right? They don't matter. Who cares? But I've had people say it to me all the time. You know, like our our old office manager, um somebody that I used to work with was like, you know, oh, I don't understand how how parents can be upset. They have a healthy baby. Who cares how they were born? How, who ca- Like, who cares? I know. You know, the baby, first of all, I feel like the baby, the baby, we just went through the ba- whatever the baby's going to go through. And of course, we have to deal with that. But like, we need to focus on the parent right now. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to need to be caring for this new baby. They're the ones who are going to have to be healing. Like, the baby's just, the baby's fine. You know, we right. need to be focusing on the parents and it's so much the opposite. We focus on this baby. That's just a baby that, you know, of course, sometimes things go wrong, but you're going to know we're checking on the baby, but we don't check on the mom at all. You can't have a mom parent. without a baby and you can't have a baby without a mom. You can't. It's, they're a team. It's a, it's a team effort here. We can't look at one without looking at the other. And I don't know why anybody wants to separate those two and say, oh, the baby's fine. You know, let's, who cares about the mom? Who cares that she just had, went through a three-day induction that ended up in, you know, a major abdominal surgery? Who cares yeah. about that? Her baby's right. fine. Like, there's a lot of, of psychological trauma that goes on with this. Physical I, trauma yeah. and psychological trauma. Totally. And now you have a baby that's not breastfeeding and now you're supposed to bond with this baby? <sighs> Like, how does that work? Is there some kind of magic that we don't know about happening here? But it is, there's such a disconnect and we don't look, we don't help those mothers at all. We're like, oh yeah, come back in six weeks. We'll make sure you're healed. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can right, out they're going to check on the baby every back. few days, even yeah. though the baby is clearly fine. Yeah. <laughs> I remember because I had an episiotomy, so I had stitches all inside my taint, (laughs) and I'm sure there's a better word for that. But I I thought you were going to say I'm sure there's a picture. I'm like, we don't know. Oh God, no! I know there's a. I know there's the perineum, um, but uh, it was horrible, and I I was so fucking traumatized after this Mm -hmm. birth. 
And I remember going into the bathroom. I was so scared to look because I was so afraid to look. But like you have to clean it and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder. I just was curious what it looked like. But I was so scared and so just, oh, my God. Like this part of my body, this very personal part of my body had now been cut with scissors and stitched up again. And so I finally, at one point, I finally looked and I was just like, holy shit, that's an entry, an exit now. That is just an exit. That's done. That is roped off. There's police tape all around this thing. (laughs) And I, I, uh, and then you're, I'd never been through that. Right. And then you're expected to get up and go pick up your baby. And care for this new, brand new life that's totally dependent on you. Oh, my God. What a kick in the face. Right. It is insane, the things that we go through, that we just are considered, like, normal. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so I wild. Know, I had a client one time tell me that, that she looked, and she looked and was like, oh, my God, I think there's an extra hole there now. Like she had no oh, idea yeah. what was going totally. And her nurse was like, stop looking. No, look at it. Like, cause you just, and I, I know I did not look, I have no idea what it was like, yeah. what it was like down there afterwards, but I know I had a pretty significant tear. Yeah. And I was terrified of an episiotomy, terrified. And I yes. remember telling my doctor, right. like, I want nothing to do with that. And he was like, well, if we have to, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Yeah, um, but- I never thought that would happen to me. And I, in the middle of it, you know, in the middle of birth, when he said episiotomy, I was like cheering. I was like, yes, just cut a giant hole and get this thing out. I don't care. <laughs> just like remove the bottom part of my body. I don't care. Just get it out. Yeah, there's what um, a trip. You're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Oh, yeah, I know. I don't. Yeah, they're just not supposed to be doing that. That like ACOG bandit, like early 2000s i think and they're not mm-hmm. supposed to be doing it but and there is not a lot of research to show that it actually helps to get the baby out faster right yeah yeah i mean the things that happen to you when you have a baby it is just i mean at least they told you about the episiotomy i've had some people say yeah. that they never even knew that it happened oh my god that's insane yeah. oh i i don't i don't well i think he did tell me because it was after the guy came in and i heard him say episiotomy to the whoever was standing next to him, you know? And um, I heard it and I was like, oh my God, yay. And then I think they did say like, okay, we're well now we're going to make a small, they didn't say episiotomy to me because I guess they assumed I might not know what that means, but I knew what it meant when I heard it. And then they looked at me and said, we're going to make a small incision. And I said, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, do it. Cut, get the knife, get it. I mean, you know, it sounds like something you don't want, obviously. But when you're in the middle of that, it's like whatever is going to bring us to the you, end of oh, this. Oh, you'll sign faster. up for anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is why it's really important to know what the, you know, yeah, what the after effects are. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Because you don't know what's going to happen because birth plans, you have to have a birth plan because you have to know what you want and you have to have that doula there helping, you know, to advocate for that. But you also have to know what are all the possibilities so that, you know, yeah, so you know what to expect when when breastfeeding starts. You know, mm-hmm. this is like, okay, so I went through this, so I know that my baby might be extra tired now. So I know that we might need to put a little extra effort into, you know, or just a little extra attention into getting this started. It might take a little longer. Um, 
for them to really get going. And let me get that lactation consultant that I set up while I was pregnant as well and let them know what happened so that you know what to expect. So that you're not just like wondering what the hell just happened like I did. Right. It's crazy. It's insane. So if you're having trouble with breastfeeding after a difficult birth, it's not you. And you can overcome it. But you definitely need help. These are you need more support with this. And one of the research studies I remember coming across when I was doing when I was doing my work on this was said that like the hospital systems that offered more support to parents that were like doing baby friendly type behaviors and offering more support to parents and making sure the parents who were breastfeeding had the support they needed. Those babies did well. Those mothers and babies did very well, Mm -hmm. regardless of what intervention was thrown at them. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to how much support you have, because that is really important. That is really, really important. So make sure that you, you know, I mean, and that might be a little bit out of your control too, but there are a lot of ways, you know, to get, you need, you know, lactation support is really helpful afterwards, after you go home. So plan on like, okay, I want to see somebody getting some, you know, support, some information. Just really having that is very, very important. Bottom line when it comes to intervention. That's how I got through it. Yeah. As, as I actually ended up calling somebody. Otherwise, I wouldn't have right. made it, you know. And uh, with um, with Exley, too. I mean, I had a home birth, unmedicated, breastfeeding right away situation, and I still struggled. Mm-hmm. I still had to reach out and be like, what's going on? Yeah, I see and, home birth patients. You know, yep. Yeah. It does. It happens. To, yeah. You're going to. Yeah. It's like, babies are not perfect. Either way, <laughs> you're going to need probably some help. Yep. Yeah, so so that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah.